Welcome to Sport Faith Life. I'm Chad Carlson. And I'm Brian Bolt. We're two guys from rival schools who came together with one common purpose, to think deeply about sport and faith. We're sports scholars, we're coaches, and we're competitive athletes, or at least we were. And together, we've created Sport Faith Life, a conversation that meets at the intersection of sport and faith. Welcome to the Sport Faith Life podcast. I'm Brian Bolt here again with my co-host, Chad Carlson. We're joined today by former LPGA golfer, Tracy Hansen. Tracy is a veteran of the LPGA Tour and has more recently started the Tracy Hansen Initiative, uh, a ministry towards um, professional athletes, specifically female golfers um, with some trauma in their background. We're so excited to have you with us today, Tracy. It's great to be with both of you. So the first question we have for you is, um, tell us a little bit about sport in your life. I obviously shared that you're a professional golfer, but uh, tell us something, sport in your life. Sure. Well, I grew up in northern Idaho, so uh, we have snowy winters and um, kind of play golf all year round. And I think I put, started playing golf around eight, nine, and then I started playing basketball when I was around 10. And so both basketball and golf are my sports going through school. Probably actually liked basketball a little bit better in high school. Was a part of a state championship team, so can't complain there. Um, but then I had to make a choice between golf and basketball for college. And so I chose golf and played uh, on a scholarship. And I just one thing I really love about growing up uh, is being a multi-sport athlete. I think that was really good uh, just – Physically, you know, giving my body a break for different sports, but then just learning a team sport, but also being an individual athlete as well. Tracy, nobody ever has to apologize for liking basketball more than golf. <laughs> it's absolutely natural to think that way. Uh, tell us off right now. <laughs> hey, tell us a little bit about faith in your life, some of your faith background. Sure. Um, you know, we didn't really have a lot of faith growing up other than my dad had um, some Lutheran background. And so we, during the sixth, seventh grade time period, did the Lutheran confirmation. And I think it's like a two year process. And, you know, I was really good at memorizing the right answers and um, doing what I needed to do to be done with that. And I was kind of a troublemaker within the context of that as well. But um, so I, I wouldn't say that um, I knew Jesus personally coming out of that experience, but I, I got a little experience of church and the Bible and how to read the Bible. And um, but then really sports became our the center of my family unit and my sports specifically. So, um, you know, just Christmas, Easter kind of engagement with the um with the church. And I'd say my, my parents were believers, but just God never was the center of our life. Um, I had some seeds though planted along the way. And my dad, there was a book written by a guy in the Northwest called my head coach. And he took the idea of Jesus being like a head coach, like a basketball coach. And so being a basketball player that resonated with me. And so that was another seed planted. Um, and then, uh, the one negative side or the one kind of, uh, I don't even know what the right word is. Um, uh, uh, my sexual abuser would started talking to me about Jesus as well. And so I have this kind of convoluted experience with Jesus, some really positive seeds, and then this 
uh, wrapped around some violence. Um, but I actually, on my way to college to San Jose State, I prayed the prayer, um, asking him into my life and my heart, confused, uh, scared, not knowing really what that meant. And then my sophomore year in college is when I got connected with Athletes in Action. And then I started to really understand what it meant to have a relationship with Jesus. Tracy, that's a, the beginning of a really fascinating story that I can't wait to hear the rest of. Uh, but I can confess as well, I probably played more basketball than golf in my life. But as a, <laughs> as a current golf coach, I, I saw the light, as did you, eventually. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> uh, that's your real conversion story. That's right, great. right. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, and so I could talk to you for hours. I, I'm uh, Unfortunately, we won't have that. But before we get to some of the, the meat of what you want to talk about, uh, tell us just a little something, maybe just uh, um, some sort of uh, tidbit that people don't know about you, something unusual. Well, I'm in pursuit of the world's best chocolate chip cookie recipe. Oh. And so no matter where I'm at in the world, I try to seek out chocolate chip cookies to compare and Just I will chocolate say, chip? Yeah, only chocolate chip. Okay. Yeah, I think England is uh, winning right now. So which part of England? Well, uh, London area, there's a place called Ben's Cookies, and they're pretty good. All right. You'll have to try some brownies uh, from Colombia. We just talked to uh, Marcos, who <laughs> pushing. Uh, so we're getting into a, a quite a culinary treat uh, podcast here. I'm yeah. kind of enjoying it. <laughs> so you don't we don't normally think of um the brits as having you know really tasty food but that's no. interesting we'll have to we'll have to check that out hey so tracy i'm going to get into the conversation here um i'm wondering if we can follow up on some of what you alluded to you're a humble person you only shared maybe just the tip of the iceberg in terms of your athletic success high school basketball state championship played golf at san jose state Give us give us a little bit more here. I mean, to tell us where you were in terms of the world of elite sport, because a lot of times that's that's a basis to be able to give someone a platform to speak about their faith or to speak to others about um, the pitfalls or the difficulties uh, in the world of sport. Sure. Where exactly have you been? Uh, well, we don't have enough time to cover all of it, but so let me see if I can kind of <laughs> some highlights. Um, you know, as a golfer coming out of Idaho, I was kind of average for the recruiting class. And I, I was fortunate to get recruited by several universities. Um, but it probably wasn't until my sophomore, junior year of college that my game really elevated to the point where I started to believe that I could go pro. And um, th in three years, that sophomore, junior, senior year, I won 11 tournaments. We won an NCAA team championship. We were ranked in the top two of the country pretty much that whole time. And so I had a really elite experience in college that um, I needed in order to get to the professional level because coming out of Idaho, it wasn't going to happen if I stayed north. Um, but kind of coached ar around that when I became a Christian and got involved with Camps Crusade and Athletes in Action, um, there's two things that I want to uh, – really hone in on. There's one, there's such goodness in getting involved with the campus ministry. Um, I learned how to read the Bible, how to have quiet time, you know, the importance of going to church, the importance of Christian community. 
And the, the pitfall of that is that sometimes we take our biblical content or the, the acts of doing those things and cover up the stories of pain. And that's, that happened to me is like, um, I didn't really have anybody to help me understand what happened in this sexual abuse story that I did not name until 20 years later. And so as I talked about that experience, nobody was able to help me name what was true about that. And so it kind of got buried underneath this uh, growing platform as a Christian athlete. And that started really in college, like, okay, go share your testimony. Um, You're not just a golfer now. Now you're a Christian golfer. And then that just carried into professional life. Now using this, this platform as a Christian professional athlete to talk about Jesus and share my faith. And so that's a wonderful thing. And we have to be really careful with athletes and how we use them in that platform as well. Um, making sure that, that our faith is, are, is strong and, and deep, but also that emotionally we, we get cared for as well and not just thrown into this, this fire of go share your faith. We're talking with Tracy Hansen, former uh, professional golfer, uh, quite a, a mixture of experiences in both sport and faith. And uh, interestingly, in just one answer, you kind of gave us sort of the highs and lows of sport and the, and the complexity of the faith life as well. It was in, in many ways your redemption, but also uh, maybe... Uh, sort of aided in a cover-up or even in your own mind of things that were happening. So I think our audience needs to know as much as you feel comfortable, well, what exactly are, are we talking about in terms of the things that uh, held you back? You talked about sexual abuse. How, how do you tell others about that now? Um, and uh, what context can you put that in as you're thinking about your sport and your faith life? Yeah, I think for me personally, um, I already had a shame-based performance culture with my father growing up and, uh, and really lacked a lot of emotional nurturing in my home. You know, we were the classic two kid middle-class family, but really not a lot of emotional nurturing around that. And my, so my performance became my identity and how to get love and adoration, especially with my dad. Um, so that was kind of the context of being groomed and, um, uh, manipulated by an abuser within the context of sport and also the context of being kind of talked about with about Jesus and using that as a hook. So shame-based performance before, and then now this, this thing that's happening to me and no, and I, I didn't feel safe talking to anybody seeking out help. And then going into college performance just became even more important because I had this thing that happened to me and I didn't know how to talk about it. And even as a Christian, I didn't know how to talk about it because now I'm supposed to perform as a Christian athlete. And so the, the, the performance, the shame-based performance is so strong in just sport in general. But then when you add these complexities of abuse stories on top of it, um, the performance becomes like a mask or a numbing agent. So I didn't do drugs. I didn't do alcohol. But performance was my numbing. It was like a drug that um, kept me going. And so with that, you know, there's highs and lows. And um, and so for me, I think uh, I had a really I had a good career. I can't complain about my career. And I feel like I had an average career um, because 
it was laced every day with this anxiety and um, fear that if I didn't perform to the, you know, that I was going, I wasn't worthy of anything. And I had Jesus in my life. And so it's like this, it's every day was like so much energy going towards um, hiding my story, being this Christian athlete that I don't feel like I ever played with the full freedom and into my full potential with the gifts that God gave me because I had this story, this, um, this pain, this shame that I never talked about. There's a new HBO documentary out called The Weight of Gold, and it, it details the lives, specifically the young lives of Olympic athletes in their pursuit of gold medals and the costs that come along the wayside, the anxieties, the pressures to perform, to produce. And I would say among academic circles, it's fairly well known that there is a performance-based ethic in, in our sport today. And what you're saying is that there is a, there's a shame basis to that performance ethic. At least that, that's what you experienced. Mm-hmm. And I'm interested in the way in which you dealt with that. And now as you're ministering to other pro or uh, future pro golfers, athletes, um, how your story connects to what's, what, what they're experiencing. Yeah. Um, so shame is such a, a hard topic for people to talk about. And everybody experiences shame differently. Um, but I think for me, the shame, um, like every day as a golfer, Brian, you can attest to this, is like when we stand up on the tee and put the tee in the ground, we really are in full exposure and vulnerability to the people watching us. And I don't think I really fully understood um, because it was so ingrained in me how much I was exposing myself every day. And I probably was more fear of success than fear of failure because of that. Um, Because if I, I think, you know, the more I succeeded, the more I felt vulnerable and I couldn't be vulnerable because I had to be this, this image, this persona that people expected of me. Um, And I think what happened over the time, one, I had already had a compromised back. And so, you know, when you're dealing with stress and anxiety over 20 years, my body was breaking down emotionally. I was breaking down mentally. I was breaking down. And I would say even spiritually, in some sense, I was breaking down. And I got to a point where I'm like, I just can't do this anymore. Um, So as I take my experience on tour and as a professional athlete and start talking to these younger girls um, and, and I I'll talk to males as well, but um, the care that I want to offer them is the care that I needed at their age and never found. And so even if it's uh, their parents got divorced or they have an injury or maybe it's an abuse story, or maybe they're struggling with depression and they don't know what to do with it. If just the act of talking about it and starting the conversation is um, can be so beneficial of releasing um, the torment that they're holding. So you speak of this torment, and you you talk about this uh, career that uh, you might call mediocre. Uh, as to what it could have been, right? You, you, in many ways, all of us as athletes, we think about, oh, if only if I, I could go back now, right? Right. In some ways. Yeah. But uh, tell us a little bit, 
did you experience any any joy in sport did it did it um uplift in any way because people talk about that people talk about some of that um inherent uh, do it for its own sake uh, aspect and you were such uh you were so much in performance based from age eight to nine uh i wonder how much did you love or did you ever really love to play and can you ever think of a, a moment where or or a, or a period of time where you were really experiencing what sport had to offer yeah and sometimes i forget to uh, remember uh, the the good things about golf and and for a good percentage of what my experience was 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 wonderful um, i think there were probably phases in my career you know brian you know golf is streaky <laughs> we go through these slumps and you might like a tour player they might make their whole year within five weeks of play and the rest of the year sucks mm-hmm. um so i would say that there were periods of my college life well let's even go back to junior golf um i think there was a there was moments of junior golf where i i did really enjoy it um enjoyed being out practicing i practiced alone a lot which wasn't always fun but um so junior golf was good, but I think in college, uh, that the, the sake of the competition, um, you know, when you're, you're, I'm close to the lead or in the lead and I've got a few holes left and maybe I feel like the wheels are falling off, but then there's something innate inside that just kind of gets triggered. And all of a sudden, like you're, I just, I just remember getting hyper-focused and um, bearing down and, and for the sake of the competitive juices, you know, finishing strong. And th- those moments are exciting. Um, even in professional golf, you know, I had um, my first time I shot 63. Uh, I had a chance to win the tournament. I didn't, I got beat by, I think, Meg Mallon, who shot a 64 mm. the next day. So it's not like I lost a tournament, but um or another tournament where I was, I finished tied for first and lost in a playoff, but just the adrenaline and the juices and the, the, the chance to be in the fight um, to win the tournament. So all of that is exciting and makes it's, that's what makes us athletes keep going. You know, individual sports are so difficult on the athletes. I think, like you said, you're, you're vulnerable because you're exposed, right? It's you and there's nowhere to hide. You can't hide behind a team you can't hide behind bad bad coaching decisions in the heat of the moment. You know, it's it's you out there on your own on an island. In many cases, of course, you can be surrounded by a team like you are in college, but it's still you. It's it's you against the course. It's you against other competitors. It's you, right? You're you're on an island in many ways, and that makes it quite difficult. Maybe one of the reasons why I uh, gravitated more towards team sports. I was I was maybe. Um, afraid. I don't know. The, the vulnerability there, like you said, it's a real thing and, and it matters. So I'm wondering when you're, when you're ministering to athletes now, and maybe that's not the right word ministering because you're, you're there with them. Are you there as a listener or do you have, do you have particular, um, you know, items that you've taken from your own experiences and from your own training that, that are, that can really help them and where you're walking alongside them through, through modules here that are planned specifically for pro golfers. Yeah. Um, I wouldn't say, I would say I'm more of, of a listener. So I, I don't even call myself necessarily a sports chaplain when I'm out uh, either with the Symmetra tour or um, 
other athletes because I want a non-believer to feel uh, comfortable talking to me, knowing that the spirit of God goes with me and will guide those conversations with the hope that they will turn spiritual at some point. So I, you know, I label myself more as a mentor, counselor, um, just available, creating opportunities for safe conversations. And most of that is I, I listen. I might ask a few probing questions. Um, and I've had conversations anywhere from I'm struggling with depression. I don't know what to do. Um, I'm out here. I'm financially in trouble. I don't know if I should keep playing. Um, to, hey, we walk a few holes with me on the course and, and can I pick your brain as a golfer? And then as we're walking on through those holes, there's a lot of time in between shots and we're just talking about life. I'm asking about their family and just things kind of unfold that way as they, you know, it's, it's really a, a ministry of presence, just being there, building relationship, building trust, especially with pro athletes, you know, trust is a big deal. Um, and it takes time to build that trust that, uh, and thankfully I, with golfers, I have the credibility already. You know, just yesterday I was having a conversation with one of my, my incoming golfers and he was out, uh, watching his girlfriend play in a tournament and she happened to be playing next to a young lady who was having the round of her life. Mm-hmm. Uh, and in the end she shot 60, six, zero. Um, and the building momentum of this round was just something to behold by, by the ninth hole, the media had been alerted and, uh, people from all around had showed up, were showing up, um, just to watch her finish this round. She had three Eagles on, on the front nine Wow! Uh, playing from the red tees. There's some drivable moments. Sure. Uh, so, uh, in this case, a person like this may or may not uh, cross your path uh, along the way. And yet, um, how, what kind of advice would you give to parents, parents that are seeing uh, aptitude, parents that are seeing talent, parents that are dealing with maybe elite level uh, skills? You know, there are parents of, of athletes all over the place, but you have lived the life of that sort of elite level, um, sort of childhood and uh, adulthood. How, do, how would you talk to parents as they deal with this kind of success and, and often really early success? Yeah, it's a fine line for sure. Um, if, uh, if it's a younger uh, athlete, um, I think it's really important for parents to understand that there needs to be a a cycle through their year where a lot of kids are specifying in their sport, um, one sport early and playing that sport all year round. And so I think it's really important to pay attention to what the kids are, um, how they're acting. If there's any abnormal behaviors, um, encouraging or even um, maybe mandating rest periods. Um, and then knowing that purpose and intention is important, not necessarily quantity all the time. So for parents, it's, uh, it's a fine line too, if a parent's the coach or not. 
And I would encourage all parents not to coach <laughs> children <laughs> um, because, you know, really a, a son or a daughter, all they really want from their parents is to know that they're loved and adored and that they're, it doesn't matter how they perform. They just want to know that they're valuable. And so often parents start to attach performance as their love language and, um, and really shaming too. Like, well, if you don't shoot this score or if you don't make this many baskets, then you're going to have to do this or, you know, um, it's hard. It's a hard conversation for parents. And I, I wish I had the like do one, two, three and four and you're going to be great. Um, but it's not. But I think parents really just first need to love their children and then support and encourage them in the talents that they see unfolding. So, Tracy, I feel like Brian asked this question on my behalf. I've got young kids. <laughs> They're in sports. Here's, here's, my, here's my worry. I'm asking you to, to speculate on your own experience here. I think a lot of parents worry that if if they don't push their kids when they see potential, like the kid doesn't know any better, but the parent, you know, you, the parent can tell if there's some aptitude or not, right? Parents are crazy. They're never they're never objective, right? Mm-hmm. They always think their kids have more or less ability than they actually have. But I, I wonder about your story. So you had this performance based ethic. That's how you receive love from your dad is when you performed well. What happens if your dad loves you for who you are? I'm asking you to speculate on that because I think there's a worry among parents that maybe then actually the performance goes down and a kid might not reach their potential if I don't push them in certain ways. Yeah, I think that's probably um, the, you know, the culture of our society too, having a little influence where, uh, you know, everybody gets a a prize at the end of the day and, um we didn't have that when we were growing up, you know, you fought for that first place trophy. But uh, I think, I think you're, it's a good question to ask because um, I think what kind of opportunities can you give your kid? And for me, in my experience, my dad never coached me, thankfully, because one, he, he didn't have enough knowledge. And so that might be an issue. Some parents think they have the knowledge of the game and they really don't. Right. Um, or whatever sport it might be. Um, for me, I had a really good swing coach that um, not only taught me my swing, but he was always so positive and encouraging me to understand that golf is just something to something bigger. And so I think perspective is good. Like, like, okay, I'm, this is what I'm seeing in you. This is what I hope for you. This is what I can offer you as far as opportunity you as the child need to put in participate and put in that the the work for it and it's just a means to something bigger in life it's not all of life or it's not the end all to um where they're heading in life i don't know if that helps um it's always good to have maybe an out like if you can find a quality coach or skills trainer or something that you trust that could help the parent um, kind of separate between being that person who's pushing them versus the person who's just encouraging them. And there's probably a dearth of quality coaches out there right now. And also a, <laughs> a, a general inability to distinguish who's a good coach and who isn't a good coach for young it, kids. Right? That, that is a true statement. I mean, there's a lot of bad 
coaches that are out there for their own gain. Mm -hmm. So Tracy, uh, before I leave this too far behind, I do want to go back a little bit because your moments of change have been pretty um, uh, life-changing in many ways, right? You suppressed really a memory um, and actually lived with that memory for a long period of time. And then you decided to be open and honest about it. How, how does that how does that happen? How did it happen for you? Um, when did it happen? And can you describe what sort of pushed you to the point that you were going to be honest about this? Yeah. So when I left the tour, you know, I hated golf. I didn't want it. And, you know, the, golf had been my life for 30, over 30 years at that point. And I was like, I'm done. I don't want to talk about it. I don't want to see it. I don't want to play it. Um, so there's something wrong there initially. Um, and so I, I kind of hibernated, rested, recovered a little bit. And I had to get away from my place of performance for me to recognize that I wasn't okay emotionally because I still, those, those, that first year and a half after tour life, I still kind of hid behind my spiritual faith and that, okay, well, I'm, I'm got other qualities. I can do other things with my life, but underneath in that surface emotional world, I still was not okay. I was very empty. Um, and so getting away from performance, not having that as a mask anymore. And then um, the way God works and, and the way he worked in with me, he kept sending these really uh, faith uh, filled women in my life who I, if I was still playing golf, I probably would have ignored. But because I was away from golf, I'm like, hmm, there's something about this woman who's pursuing me in a different way that's not about golf. She, they don't even care if I played golf. And so I saw more of a, a authenticity or a genuineness inside of them. And I allowed them to start kind of poking me a little bit. One of them was the first one who ever named that this relationship that I talked about was sexual abuse. I had to sit with that for a while. And then the other one started like, you know, let's do a Bible study. And and as I just started to talk a little bit more, share a little bit more about my my high school experience, um, they encouraged me to seek out additional help. And that's when I started. Um, I chose to start doing counseling, one on one counseling. And I still remember the first day I went drove to Kalamazoo, Michigan to see this, this woman, I was scared out of my mind. Like, what the heck am I doing? And it was the, the best thing I ever did for myself. And so before I ever started talking publicly about that part of my story, I, I got a lot of care, a lot of emotional care that was couched around a Christian faith. Um, and so that I got really grounded in what was really true about my story before I could share it publicly. And so I've done a lot of hard work. Um, I, it's a, it's a forever journey. Um, I still discover things or experience things today that need more care. Um, but I'm grounded in the basics of my story of what's true and what was false that I lived with for so long that, um, I'm pretty an open book now today. So you're expressing like a different type of vulnerability there, right? And so there's the vulnerability of being an individual sport athlete at an elite level 
And being on an island, every tea box is an island, every green is an island where you're, you're by yourself, you're exposed. But then this other vulnerability of um, welcoming help, mm-hmm. seeking help or being told that you need, that you should seek help and that that will be helpful, right? As athletes, we're taught to be independent and we're taught to be strong-willed and uh, we're taught to, to, that we know what's best, right? Because we know ourselves and then this vulnerability to go seek counseling must have been a big step as well. And I'm wondering what that next step was then. You seek counseling, you spend time navigating through what's happened in your past, and then you get to the point where you believe you can help others. What was it that made you think that this, that, that this initiative that you have going on might be something that could be a really positive element to the Symmetra Tour and, and other golfers and athletes? Yeah, I think, so first I want to publicly say is not everybody who has a story that's abuse oriented has to speak publicly about it. I think that's important. Um, I think God has put me in a position and a place of that. I got really the the right kind of care that kind of led me that direction. Um, You know, it's interesting. About a year after, maybe about six months or so after I started counseling, my counselor knew really very little about golf. And she just looked at me and she says, you know, I'm glad you're not playing golf anymore. And it was just like, Oh, me too. (laughs) (laughs) And then like a year later, almost to the month, she's like, you know, I think it's about time that you start in re-engaging in golf and, and, um, and start playing or getting involved again. And I looked at her and I'm like, wait a minute, a year ago, you said, I'm glad you're not playing. And today you're saying um, I should re-engage. And I think what she was saying is that um, I had to name the good and the bad in golf. It's both. It's both and. And for a long time, I was just hanging on to the bad and the the anger and the um, all the performance-based part of it. And then I had to start blessing the, the, my career, my, my skills, my, the gifts that God has given me. And I think it was in that moment that was the start of saying, Hmm, maybe there is something about golf that God still wants me to do something with. And whether I play competitively or not, it's not about that. It's just using my, my, my visibility, my credibility, my credentials to now start um, caring for other people and I think that's where the initiative was birthed out of is that I can't just hide and, and just hold on to my own freedom and healing by myself. I have to offer it to other people. We're speaking with uh, Tracy Hansen, former LPGA golfer. And uh, that answer, Tracy, uh, is a great transition to what I'm going to make my final question, which I, we're getting near the end here, but I'm going to get really selfish here. Cause I want to hear you talk golf. Um, okay. And uh, I would, you all sports, I've played a lot of sports and all sports have good and bad, but the intensity seems to be greater in golf. The dark night of the soul in golf is real, right? Those the, mm-hmm. you say, I hate the game. I hate the game every time I play. <laughs> But I also love it. It's, right. it's just unique in that way. And so what I want to do is, it, could you kind of really put on your um, golf visor hat, whatever, and and walk me through one hole or a few holes where you just had it going and how your mind process was going and you were just having a, a, a great moment. You were in the golf zone 
tell us how that works for you. Yeah, I think I immediately I'm thinking about my first 63. Um, I had five birdies in a row during that round. Now on tour, we have a caddy and, and a, a good caddy just helps the golfer ride when they're playing well. Like a, a good caddy doesn't make a golfer better. A good caddy makes a bad round better. Um, so there's a thing, the zone is real. Like, so, uh, I think when teeing up, you know, you just, you visually see the shot that you want to, want to hit, whether it's a right to left or left to right, you see the fairway. It's, it's kind of like a, a tunnel. You don't see the right or the left. You just see exactly where you want to land it. Um, I remember being really relaxed um, nervous and relaxed at the same time. <laughs> it's a weird combo for a mm -hmm. golfer. So, um, so teeing off, you know, just hitting good drives and getting to the fairway and having good numbers and seeing the shot, seeing where, seeing the green, where you want to hit it, where you want to land it. And, um, and then putts, uh, you know, when you shoot 63, you got to make some long putts. And what happens is when you're really in the zone, you can really almost see a line between the ball and the hole. And it just happened a week ago for me when I was just out playing socially. There was, uh, actually I was in a, a scramble for a fundraiser and there was one putt. I, I saw the line so clear. I just stepped up and I just stroked the ball and boom, I knew it was going in before I even hit it. That's what happens when you're in the zone. Um, and one hole after another hole after another hole, it's just, rhythm, fluidity, and visually being able to see and believe what you're, you're intending to do. It's when the wheels come off <laughs> <laughs> that could happen in a moment. Oh, it's terrible. Yeah. The, and the interesting about golf is like, I've shot 69 hitting 16 fairways and 30 putts or, or more. And I've shot 69 hitting six fair uh six greens and making up and down from everywhere mm -hmm. so that's the silly thing about golf it's like uh it's maddening hey, you you said it you did i i couldn't agree more golf is a, <laughs> a maddening sport why I, I don't play it but i think what you're describing especially you know psychologically the zone and, and sort of flow experiences translate across sports it's just the uniqueness of golf is sort of the the discrete nature of every shot that there's time to reflect in between. And so often that will um, hinder performance when athletes have time to stop and think about what they're doing and doing well, that for a golfer to be able to continually do that, knowing you're only hitting one shot every few minutes at, at most um, might be difficult. Tracy, I'm assuming that there's going to be a lot more really good moments ahead for you specifically with this new podcast you have going with Bill Houston. Will you tell us a little bit about that? Yeah, well, um, so Power Up Sports, Power Up Sports Ministry is a um, kind of came out of Sports Spectrum entities and is under the Our Daily Bread uh, Ministries. And Bill Houston uh, decided he wanted to have a podcast to kind of go along with some of the conferences idea that he has specifically to the audience of sports chaplains or sports leaders who are also doing ministry related things around sport and faith. And so he asked me to be his co-host. Um, I, 
I was very excited and like, well, yeah, that would be quite the adventure. Um, so we will be launching officially in October 2020, um, bi-weekly podcasts with different um, interviews with sports chaplains to elite athletes. We've, I think one of our first ones is going to be an Olympic gold softball player that we interviewed already. And um, I think it'll be fun. You know, it's really targeted for the people in sports ministry world to be encouraged, to learn from each other and uh, to really stay steadfast in what's really a, a, a hard culture. Well, Chad and I started our podcast with uh, Our Daily Bread and Bill Houston. And so we certainly have a uh, warm spot in our heart for that ministry. And so we're really excited that you're picking up and working with Bill and uh, you're welcome. We, we uh, got him all ready for this. <laughs> you know, Either I'm you're welcome it. or we're sorry. We're not sure. Right. Well, I've known Bill a long time, so um, we work well together, but it's funny because he's a radio guy, so he mm -hmm. has to dial down and I'm a <laughs> quiet golfer. I have to dial up. So <laughs> we've got a lot of room for improvement, but we're just going to kind of keep plugging along. Awesome. Well, you, you know, Bill's got such a great voice. I could just listen to him, you know, for hours. And, and you've got such great things to say, Tracy. And so I, I imagine it'll be a wonderful conversation. Yeah, I'm looking forward to it. Well, thanks for being with us, Tracy. This has been a fantastic uh, 40 minutes. And uh, we also uh, will be releasing this podcast with your blog uh, post that will be on sportfaithlife.com. So you can check out a little bit more about Tracy's life. Tracy, did you want to also uh, talk about your website? Sure. Uh, TracyHanson.com. Uh, Tracy with a Y, Hanson with an O. Um, really has a little bit about my story uh, on there. It has a little bit about the ministry work, uh, the nonprofit, and a way to contact me if anybody would like to, to connect and um Whatever I can do in the, uh, to, with parents or athletes themselves, uh, I'm available there. Thanks for listening to the Sport Faith Life podcast. Find previous episodes at sportfaithlife.com and on Apple Podcasts. We're releasing each episode with a blog post authored by our guests. So you can find the blog for this podcast and other posts at the same website, fortfaithlife.com.